Today, I'm happy to bring to the podcast another close personal friend of mine, Charlie Turner. Charlie and I met at a spring dance in eighth grade. We bonded over the importance of a good, fresh pair of new socks. Months later, we both ditched the end of the year field trip to Six Flags, played video games, and talked about music. Throughout high school, we showed each other new sounds. I turned Charlie on to Fugazi, he turned me on to Converge. I went further into the depths of post-punk, post-hardcore, and art rock, while Charlie searched the charred landscapes of black metal, grindcore, and noise. We both loved math rock. I played guitar and sang in my band Subject to Evaporation. He sang in his band, Junkyard Jack. The college years came and Charlie cleared out his mother's basement, turning it into a sound dungeon. Me, Charlie, and our friends would come to burn the hours of the weekend down there, hammering away on detuned, oddly modified guitars, banging on Charlie's new drum kit, grinding metal grinders on pieces of sheet metal, exercising the demons of late lonesome teenhood, and making unholy sounds that nobody but us would ever hear. Those freeform cacophonies still influence my musicianship today. Charlie has long-lasting, deep roots in the St. Louis underground scene. He was a longtime volunteer and door person at the Lemp Neighborhood Arts Center. He's performed countless noise performances under the moniker Charlie J. Moneybags, and later under the moniker Charlie. He's worked door at venues including the Firebird in Blueberry Hill, and he drums in the long-lasting, mind-melting, mathy doom metal duo Van Buren. It is with great pleasure that I introduce to you my lifelong friend, Charlie Turner. dad he's Mm -hmm. been a big music dork his whole life he's got a big vinyl collection that i'm lucky enough to have snagged a couple albums out of um but yeah he was always showing me stuff from a young age that was just real weird and yeah some of it's like pink floyd and like stuff you hear on the radio now on like classic stations but just like bizarre crap from like like he would show me frank zappa as a little kid he would like let me like listen to weasels rip my flesh if i wanted to um so yeah he would throw a lot of cool stuff my way and you know i you know, love the crap out of my dad, so I just, you know, was really, really hyped on stuff that he was interested in, too. And that just kind of branched off into his own thing. But yeah, by the time I was in fifth grade, I had snagged, like, the Spawn movie soundtrack, and then, like, taken every song just, like, two or three at a time over years, and just being like, what's going on with all this crap? It was a weird, weird album. Are there any, uh artists that we would recognize on that soundtrack they're all weird collaborations between like the cutting edge of like 90s electronica and new metal and stuff it was like um there's a kirk hammett guitar solo remix kirk hammett from metallica where he samples a butthole surfers song where gibby's yelling satan 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 and that's really fun (laughs) and 
and uh, like there's a there's a corn remix that's actually goes pretty hard to this day even, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, dude, there's still something to that silly band, and maybe yeah. it's just the Midwest, but anyway, um, like yeah, weird weird collaborations like Marilyn Manson and the Sneaker Pimps have a song they worked on together on that in that soundtrack. Wow. So yeah, or like Prodigy with Tom Morello like working together. Yeah, so like it's, like it's 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 a '90s metalgasm. I feel like that era of soundtrack was just like. It was um, a great way to sample crap. Yeah, it was a great way yeah. to be like, I have $16 to spend this week, and I need to get one CD, and it needs to cover like all 16 of those dollars, because I don't know when I'm going to see $16 again. Yeah, And like, totally. I would really want to be careful and make sure that like everything here on here is going to be at least like listenably unique or like good start to finish. So I was really, really trying to be careful with what I got into. So I guess that's where I learned to be meticulous about music. Yeah. Do you still have that CD by any chance? Definitely. I try to track down those. Um, yeah, I th I'm pretty sure it's still in my collection that I was going to drop off before the pandemic closed some s CD stores. Yeah, that CD is definitely still in my collection. I still stream those tracks as often as I can find them online. Like, still go back to that stuff. It's, it's nostalgic, but it's also novel enough to, to still be fun. Yeah, totally. I have my Mortal Kombat Annihilation soundtrack. Yeah, I was about to bring is, those up too. Yeah, those are great. Oh, There's shit, like yeah. Seven Dust and... Uh, yeah, back and, when they were uh, called Crawl Space. Whoa. Yeah. That means they were on both of those. Mm-hmm. Because there was an actual Seven Dust song on one of those. That's wild. Oh, um, yeah. It was the, the but yeah. more combat one that had... The, yeah, the more combat Crawl one. Space. The, the original yeah. movie soundtrack is also really important to my formative mm -hmm. tastes maybe unfortunately but yeah like that was where i had first access to the crazy crap that like earache records was putting out like that was the napalm death era where they had stopped doing grindcore and were just like trying to just develop this aggressive but commercial sound and that was back before you know commercial metal was like everybody wanted to be like where metallica was at like metallica was commercial at metal and that was like during the the years where uh, Cliff was alive. So like you could be a cool, badass metal band that could shred for days and still make tons and tons of Coke money. So like everybody <laughs> was shooting for that. And like that's when, you know, Roadrunner and Earache and all this stuff was like, let's get it out there. So you had access to crazy crap like Napalm Death and Typo Negative and Geezer, Geezer Butler's solo, sound, solo thing that he worked on with people from like Fear Factory. And like, yeah, just, yeah, just, just bizarre ways to become commercially um to commercially cross over to any market a youth market i guess in a desperate plea for that we came up with some really interesting music and got access to some really crazy edgy stuff and that definitely yeah. developed my taste for like harder stuff more experimental stuff so yeah like i was pretty much primed for a punk scene um charlie do you remember the uh compilation that i gave you that had typo negative on it yeah, that was when I, that was like our first, we went to see like a movie together. It was a big like eighth grade group hangout. And you were like, <laughs> I think you would like this. It's got stuff like Puya and Typo Negative. And yeah, it was, you were right. Puya yeah. is another oh, like, yeah. I, 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 bet, I think they're still around. That was Puerto Rican like new metal. That was actually pretty groovy and cool. It's like, imagine if 311 or Sublime like actually hit what they were swinging at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 anyway, yeah, that was on that comp that Jim gave me. It was it was a Roadrunner comp. It had, I oh, think yeah. that even had an Opeth track. No, that's that was a Robotic Empire thing way way back. Yeah, but see, that's that's this is like we don't have internet. 
we don't like like we have it to a limited capacity like you can get access to maybe two mp3s off of an album through the internet by shit like 2003 2004 yeah. me being meticulous trying to figure out what i want to listen to and knowing i only have so much money to spend on it and i can only get at it in these specific ways like i still got to drive to a store to get stuff like i got my first neurosis cd from best buy think about that i got most of my fugazi comp like most of my yeah. fugazi discographies from best buy or like at the mall yeah yeah um, or or our, our record shop in the loop, which you know that'll probably come up. Yeah, yeah just vinyl? yeah, for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. which Great. still exists, still standing, still standing, still open, and, and yeah, uh, yeah, awesome. yeah. But yeah, like those comps were super important to get exposed to stuff like where where else are you gonna hear an albatross on the radio? Where are you gonna where are you gonna hear anything from uh, Touch and Go Records? Like you gotta, you gotta just be open to like picking up like, like Jim, you were always big on those like uh, punk comps too. Like you were always digging yeah. up cool punk bands. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah, a lot of those comps, dude, like at Streetside Records or something, there'd just be a stack yeah, of flyers yeah. and stuff, and there'd just be comps oh, man. just sitting out. Streetside, Streetside, standing on the shoulders yeah, that place of. Is awesome. Street side. That's that's the thing about St. Louis that's cool because the small town part of it means there's there's actually culture trickle down. Like yeah. Yeah. some dude in a metal band or who's way into metal who's five years older than you is working at Streetside Records and he knows about all the cool shit that's happening right now. So as soon as you find out who Pig Destroyer is, you can just go there and like, hey, he's got it there for you. It was it was awesome. Yeah. Like that, that was the kind of stuff. Like he could curate a very specific and deep metal section just because he had that lane in that record shop. And if you knew that, you could just be like, bump on over there. Like, that's gone. Streetside went under, you know, probably 10 yeah. years ago now. Yeah, but, yeah uh, for sure. Yeah, man, like stuff like that. It was it was cool. I, I think I got an Atari Teenage Riot album at a Streetside record, the one that used to be in the loop. Yeah, yeah. I remember on like half days, we would go to Vintage Vinyl, and uh -huh. then get what we wanted there, and then walk we would down walk the there. We would walk there if we yeah. had to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that was like uh, that's like a it. miles long hike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't matter to us. No, no, no. Sometimes yeah. we did that. Sometimes we would catch the metro, but the metro was a pain because yeah. the security guards would hassle you because you were kids. And yeah. but um, <laughs> nah, man, it was cool. It, we 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 stayed skinny for the most part. So yeah. <laughs> we did yeah we we yeah. definitely worked uh worked out you know um yeah. charlie that's all we, all we, we used to do before we had like music was just like what you're saying like we, we would just bump around the neighborhood and like gangs of kids you know we wouldn't want to hang out at the house because our moms and dads were home but we had nowhere else to go and we didn't have cars so we would just walk around the neighborhood and gangs of kids and then like it's like all this idle neighborhood time out of the house in the summer with nothing to do just like you know getting wild and punching street signs and like eating a bunch of candy and then like yeah as soon as we decide there's like another place to go and see some music like bam that's way cooler to do than just fucking around with no girls like let's just go see some music charlie i have a very distinct memory of us all walking to wayner part with a boom box and paul brackens was there yeah, he had that leopard coat. This is the kind of stuff I'm yeah, talking dude. about. Yeah, go on. Yeah, and th and then he puts Black Flags uh, Rise Above on the fucking mm -hmm. CD player and blasts mm -hmm. it 
and we just start mm-hmm. pushing each other on the merry-go-round or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, because the they still had those too. All the kids just ran off. We were like listening to Black Flag. It was like the goofiest. Yeah. Pro- like I can't even imagine seeing that scene. It was like um like a bad PSA about your kids getting into punk music or something. Well, you know. Ridiculous. <laughs> Talk about privilege! Like we 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 could only get away yeah. with that because we were the right color skin in the right neighborhood. But yeah, yeah it was still frightening. It's still like just just being around, just being out and about un unchaperoned was upsetting to people. Like adults driving by, or even like older kids in cars. Like they would just fuck with you and throw shit at you and remind you of the other times they tried to beat you up so yeah, yeah we were ready to go hang out and see some concerts <laughs> yeah. instead of just deal with that dumb shit <laughs> for sure hey charlie can you What's uh up? can you talk about maximum velocity at all Explain oh that's another that formative thing god yeah. that was maximum velocity was a tv show on public access on my cable box it was channel 18 for most of it yeah, it was this old biker dude who was paralyzed from the waist down from a motorcycle accident. He went by Steve on wheels. He seemed like this cool rock and roll dude, because he was. And he just did his own self-curated music video show. He had his ed- own editing software. He would, you know, just drop the tapes off at the station or whatever in his time slot. He would always push for, um, what was it, like FAA or like something against the... Uh, FCC like after midnight on public access they oh, can't yeah. censor you so he was always trying to put on videos with girls with their boobs out and oh yeah I was I was and that was I was taping him long before he was even doing that you know I'm a, I'm in like you yeah. know I, we probably started watching this when we were like 13 14 yep but yeah my dad would just like stay up drinking late at night and I think he just came across it one time he's like oh check this out and so I would just watch that it would come on Saturday nights around 11 or 12 and yeah a lot of a lot more cool stuff would come in there and you know stuff that we Thought was cool and turned out not to be, but I don't know. Shit, we came across all kinds of stuff like that. I even met uh, Henry Rollins' backing band one time because I won a contest on that show. And he was late picking me up, that. so we missed, we missed meeting Henry Rollins because he had to go work out. And I don't blame him, but that was before I really knew. I knew Henry Rollins as, like, the liar guy, and, like, he had a really cool song in, like, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3. So I was stoked on that. I had no idea about, like black flag or any of that shit yeah same. or his connection to the misfits i don't think i even really had listened to the misfits much yet yeah i don't think i had either but anyway having that guy steve was just cool like he would talk to you like a grown-up and he would just tell like yeah we would see a lot of queens of the stone age back before that band was big like before um it was it was the album rated r so like that didn't really break ground in the midwest i don't know about anywhere else but yeah, like that was the only way we had to listen to Queens of the Stone Age for a while, which when you think about it now, like that is the only relevant modern rock band anymore that's doing something original, which who the hell thought that would happen? Yeah, that is kind of crazy. Yeah, because no, they had no radio airplay until that uh, the second one, the one after that, the red one with uh, No One Dead. Knows. Yeah, and that was a pretty rad album, but the ones, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I still like them to this day. You know, they're, they're hit and miss anymore, but... You know, that's what I mean. Like, how else would I have heard that? And that opened all kinds of stuff to all our friends. Like, fucking people love... People in our circle through high school love Desert Sessions and Eagles yeah. of Death Metal. We still listen to Eagles of Death Metal, man. That, shit, that silly shit is great. And then Eagles of yeah. Death Metal went up into in, in this whole global incident with that... Uh, uh, shooting in the in the oh, like not shit. not to like yeah. not to bring up horrible horrible realities of the world we're in but like yeah whoever thought that would roll up into this whole thing that, that paris shooting no, that's, I a, that's a 
That's a true. But yeah, like all this stuff back to maximum velocity. Like, and again, like one time I saw like Pig Destroyer again. I saw a Pig Destroyer video on that before. I knew what the hell Grindcore was or Death Grind. I really didn't have a sense of what that was. I thought like you know I could go on ad nauseum about the metal subgenres and we don't have to. Yeah, he would curate Halloween shows with Guar videos and crap like that. It was so much fun. And yeah. it's like Guar's playing pops. All these bands are coming to town. The radio's mm -hmm. not telling you that because yeah. of Clear Channel and now iHeartRadio is taking that that place. So it's yeah, these syndicates that play the crappiest version of a commercial idea they want to sell you as music instead of supporting the crazy cool shit that's actually still happening with the with the deeply punk spirit. Like Guar, yeah. when Rocky was alive anyway. Because, I mean, that was an in-house thing, pretty sure. I don't know much about him. I've honestly never seen him live, but respect. That was a badass band. I definitely saw a lot of, like, heard of Good Riddance on Max. Good Riddance. You were into Refused. Unloco for a while. Refused. Yeah. How? Yeah, we didn't see any. Holy crap, dude. Refused is so cool. Refused is still I cool know. to this day. That, that yeah. Shape of Punk yeah. to Al come album is so hard. Oh, my God. Seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Miles, so ahead, hard. You know. So, uh, Charlie, t tell us about your high school band, Junkyard Jack. How it started, oh my God. and what made what made you want to be a vocalist? Like you, you're a music super fan at this point. Yeah, uh, you and me both. That's that's it. You decided yeah. to make the jump into into <laughs> into making music. What made you want to be a vocalist? Despite myself, I really wanted to call attention to myself in a way that I, but I wanted to do it in a way I control over because I was getting a lot of attention in ways I didn't have control over being like taller, kind of gawky kid with, we'll say handsome features, but I always thought I looked really girly because I had like big legs and a big butt and big lips and just like, man, I just don't want to exist today most days. So yeah, like I still had something in me that wanted to perform and entertain. I just needed a better way to access that, I think. Now, I'm not conscious of this. I'm 14, 15, 16. I'm watching my friends be in bands. They have music in their lives in a way that I don't and that they've been like, you know, they got instruments or they're picking up instruments and they're getting lessons or maybe, you know, not even, but they're still doing it and I'm not really doing it. I'm mostly drawing like during class and shit like that. But I still want, I still know I want to get that because yeah, I'm, I'm big into music. It's a big way that I, I feel, I don't say I'll, I'll express myself that way yet, but I feel something connecting me there. I feel, I feel something, I feel a part of me there. So it's like a thing I do every day. Like before school, I'm listening to music when I get ready. I'm listening to the music, all the good. I'm switching between stations in the car to like listen to a good song on the way to school mm -hmm. just because I don't want to like spend any spare time listening to trash that I don't like. And, yeah. uh, and this is back when they're playing cool shit on the radio, like Radiohead and Smashing Pumpkins and stuff. And I'm just like, ah, I'm not into that. I'm not yeah. into that. Where's yeah. the Soundgarden song? <laughs> Which I'm, uh, I'm totally yeah. into those bands yeah. now. I, I pray those come on the radio now. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. So yeah, just being kind of a spaz but also like just wanting to get out there and not having any way to contribute other than being loud. Like I've always had a loud voice and I at least think I can sing. So I just, as soon as enough of like us who weren't in a band were like, okay, here we go. We're gonna make this work. Like he's got the drum set. Uh, Jake's gonna learn bass. Brett's been playing guitar and he moved back from wherever the hell Brett's family took him for the last five years and it's good to have him back. And uh, that's the truth. I love that dude. Um, yeah, so yeah, great. it was me, Brett, uh, Jake, and Adam. And we were called Junkyard Jack because we thought that was a funny name. And we knew we were a joke. We knew we were like the B crew. We knew we were going to be an opener to our friends' garage shows, our friends' bands being like subject to evaporation, Jim. And uh, they, were they the fairgrounds yet back then? 
Uh, yes. I think they were. Yes, they I think were. they had just yeah. become the fairgrounds then. Uh huh. Because I think this was junior year of high school. About no. then, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, because that's when Brett's house was over there, and there was like few enough adults there most of the time that we could hang out there and practice, even though it smelled like animal pee, which was essential <laughs> to the Dude, that... junkyard Jack vibe. Was practicing in a basement that never didn't smell like animal pee, and we never complained about it. We always knew it was perfect. It was just part of it. Yeah. What was and, that? Uh, that cat's name was Tootie, right? <laughs> I think so. I just remember his dog. Yeah. It was a boxer that was always like looking at you and showing you her butt at the same time. <laughs> yes. Just cause that's what that's she, the boxer she, move, though. Yeah, yeah, they have a talent for that. Yeah, they they really always are kind of making a U shape with their bodies because they're like, I I love to see you and my tail's wagging, and here's how you can tell. Anyway, yep. uh, so we have yeah, there's animals, there's one single room with all the instruments and we yeah we fitted it pretty good and you could still walk through it i think there was even a bathroom down there which was lit and uh because you know you wouldn't have to go upstairs and talk to any adults or any of brett's sisters friends if they were up there you could just like be a a goon and come in around the back and go in the beast basement door and be loud for a <laughs> while and walk home they came up with songs and I kind of like sang rapped with words that I thought could rhyme that didn't really express anything other than just like, here's a song. And that's, you know, that's where we learned that you can write a song and call it good enough. And that's a band like, and that's all we were trying to do because we didn't want to like exceed anything. Like, we, you know, it's not like we were experts. We, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. Adam getting through a song on time was miraculous. He was good near yeah. the end. I mean, like, it's not that Junkier Jack was necessarily important, but that's definitely the first band that I performed in, and we would do silly shit, like put on dresses. Just, you know, we were just goofing off and trying to be uncomfortable funny in whatever way we could think of. I think Brett and I made out on stage yeah. a couple times. Uh, yeah, you yep, would have brought yep. that Brett up. Brett got his I'm, first I'm kiss sure. from you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and we always yeah, thought probably. Brett was like this casanova who could like land any girl because i mean the dude's handsome he looks like yeah, he looks like john he cusack. came out of a motorcycle gang version of a john cusack like if like john cusack had been james dean that's like brett it's true well, now brett's He's a like good looking boy yeah i haven't seen him for a while he might have like a little puppy fat around his cheeks now but i'm sure it still looks nice just like John Cusack. He, he, anyway. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, looking good. Uh, yeah, I, I just been talking to him on uh, social media and Messenger lately. It was cool because I was actually really thinking about him, and all of a sudden we just connected out of nowhere. I have to listen to the songs that he sent me, matter of fact. I'll probably do that after this. That's anyway, awesome. No, that's important. Yeah, he's a great songwriter. I, I love Brett. Yeah, I still love Brett, so I guess that is important. Yeah, and yeah, like we... He's just, you know, he's been his his uh, life has taken him away from St. Louis a couple times. So I'm not gonna say I broke up Junkyard Jack by any capacity. It's just like he's he's not really grounded in St. Louis. He's never really had a chance to be grounded anywhere. I don't think, and I think that's just kind of the way he exists. He's cool, just mm -hmm. packing up and being on his own. Yeah, and uh, for sure. yeah, he's still writing. He's always writing songs. He's always drawing cool shit, cool cartoons. Like the dude has never quit, and I love that because I, you know, fancy myself a musician and an artist, and like I haven't drawn much. I, I mean, I've, I've tried to, but I wouldn't call it a practice. I'd say it's at best a hobby most weeks. And this dude mm -hmm. seems like he just does it. Like it's just part of his routine. Like he's not interested in the crap that distracts me. Like. 
games or TV necessarily. It's just like he's got this thing where he needs to write songs. And he was listening to stuff back in the day like Weezer was really informing the way that he was writing songs. And this is before Weezer was... This is before that album where, where Rivers was wearing the cowboy hat. Like, we didn't know they had that yeah, in them at this, yeah, at this yeah. time. We were coming off of the... I think Hashpipe had come out. And we were kind of like, oh, okay, they're making it big. They're on MTV. They're on VH1. But we're, you guys were rocking Pinkerton and the Blue Album, like the dorkier stuff, the good old rock stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think Brett was drawn a lot from that. And uh, I remember him and Madras listening to Everclear and always, always talking oh, about yeah, how good Everclear was. Stuff. Well, yeah. the thing is, they weren't wrong. Like, that Everclear album, right. every single track is a single. It's like a hit. It's pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah. Totally. And same with uh, Oasis. I think that was a thing that we re- listened to, ironically, even though we all really liked it. Uh, Bush. That yeah. was another one Brett listened to. Friggin' Gavin. And oh, Bush. Totally. We did a Bush cover. Yeah. Yeah. We did a Bush cover at the public pool that time, didn't we? And oh, a Van Halen yeah. cover. And you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, shouting, yeah. Shouting yeah, so we played devil, some gigs. but yeah, uh, Public pool. It's yeah. called Running With the Devil. Yeah. My and, bad. Uh, Brett really, really tried to get that guitar solo. Well, hey, I mean, you know, we didn't play it right either. Well, um, I remember Jake fucked up the bass line because he tripped over his... <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I tell that story all the time. Just because, like... Like, you know, it's such. It's just the one note, and don't, 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 don't. Jake is Chevy Chase. He is. Jake man. is like this, this incredibly charismatic, lovable buffoon, and you I don't know if it's so intentional much. or not. He's the best. I haven't talked to him in a yeah. while. I think if I saw, I saw I him at the grocery store last ago. summer. Cool. Yeah. yeah, he's married now, right? He's married. He lives in uh, San Francisco. No, How in, uh, about Oakland. It. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I must have caught him right before he moved. That's right. He got. He landed a job out there. Um, so okay. So influences on Junkyard Jack. We're talking influences about influences on Junkyard uh, Jack was 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 a uh, radio alternative rock up to we'll say three doors down and the the resurgence of rob thomas <laughs> we the parenthesis the bracket ends right before there so stuff like uh yeah like a little bit alive i'm sure was in there just because it's in our our blood oh. green day's another one it's just like man who, who thought they'd still be around but they're they were man. on yeah. the radio station when i was at the dentist today there was a funny situation that arose either late in the fall or earlier this year where I was working a show at the venue I was employed at at the time, and I think the headlining band was a Green Day cover band, and the next night, Green Day was going to play a free show downtown. Oh, yeah. So it's like, why would your headlining act be a Green Day cover (laughs) when people can just go see Green Day for real the next day for no charge? That's funny. Or they could, or they could pay to see you guys do it. Yeah. Selling point. You know, it was I just, it was like, just I, to get out there. It was, it was like, it was like kids playing with blocks. I think just and and you guys threw enough house shows and gave us enough opportunities to play. We actually did play some. We played like the old creepy crawl one time. I don't even know how that happened. We were just like on a oh, show wow. all of a sudden. Yeah. And That's we met. Cool. Yeah, we met some other bands from from other parts of town, and we tried to like strike up a kind of a. A companionship like a band where we just like kind of keep in touch and throw each other shows and try and make music like at least around each other and it worked for a second but obviously really take effect because i can't even remember that band's name um but they were good right. kids too 
Um, but yeah, we, we played that creepy crawl show with them and maybe one or two others. We played um, that basement. You guys played over the high point on McKinley. We played high point. I guess we did play yeah. the high point one time. Yeah, that's when that's you crazy. first. That's when you first made out with Brett during a guitar solo. Yeah, I thought that was a creepy crawl, but that could have been a high point. They looked uh, similar, those rooms. Like, the wood finish was different, but the degree of wear and stickering was about the same. Well, yeah, I always liked you guys. I like. I thought you guys were a great band. Yeah, but, like, that was a, it was a, it was a great experience for us because, like, we got to learn what real venues were like and what the resentment from the sound guy was like, you know, like, like <laughs> yeah. the, I remember it's at the creepy crawl show specifically, the dude was stoked about the new turbo Negro album and rightfully so, because that's a really good fun Scandinavian take on like thrasher pop punk. But yeah, he was like trying to pimp that album before and after our set, because I think he was really, really not down to hear our music and I don't blame him. Like I've worked in venues since then and I, I know, <laughs> I, I know how that feels, but I'm not gonna like take it out of the kids, you know. Sure. We're just kids. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Also, you you know you learn the uh, ritual of band practice. I think the culture around like like Brett's house having yeah. that room that you're talking about. Something yeah, that was the, the that was the practice. practice yeah, is so important. It's yeah, it's Especially a hangout spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the time where we just hung out most of the day and played like yeah. if we had a saturday we would just hang out all afternoon and play and take a break and get back to it because we were also not technically that good yet like we would still get blisters on our fingers and thumbs those of us that actually played instruments my vote my voice you know i didn't have control over it as well so yeah i'd lose it and yeah it's like shit i honestly i hadn't even thought about shit like that but you know the thing is taking three months unfortunately off of playing drums during the pandemic and then coming back to it last weekend i got a big old couple of blisters on my uh on my forefinger and my thumb so it was the first time that had happened in a while i don't think i even would have thought of that yeah because even when i first picked up the drums which was at brett's house that would happen i would get blisters all over my palms and my index fingers and like people would ask me if i lifted weights like no i played the drums and they'd like give me like side eye and like that doesn't make any fucking sense dude and now i understand why but um I was holding the sticks wrong. I was holding them too tight. But yeah, that was post Junkyard Jack. I didn't play any instruments in Junkyard Jack. I just shouted and kind of sang. We did play uh, at our high school one time. We were Adam's drama final. That was fun. That was, and that was a we, good gig. We actually impressed people. Like I remember people at the end being like, "Wow, that was actually like really cool what you guys just did." And I was like, "No, it wasn't." Yeah. Like I've I've seen this <laughs> like yeah like girls that usually like wait across the room or just like don't really talk like and and not that say like oh girls are talking to me. It's just like they really don't have an opinion one way or the other about me. Just all of a sudden like I remember that specifically them just being like that was really crazy we used it i know you guys could do that i think that was the first time i encountered um people who don't get that you can just do that because <laughs> it really is right. that easy um yeah. but a lot of people don't think it is and a lot of people have a lot of reservations to putting themselves out there in front of a crowd which i get but i mean like like i said i've, I've been a, like i would be dancing on the tables at lunch otherwise in a few cases i was and i got in trouble for it for you know causing a scene i don't know what the fuck but um yeah like having a having a lane for it and for people to see it and even our dumbasses like i didn't even like our songs like we weren't in a band to write songs we liked we were in a band to write songs at any capacity that we could all agree were songs because i was still listening to shit like monster magnet 
and nine inch nails and we weren't writing anything close to that i wasn't trying to push for that because i knew that really wasn't where we were going or i don't think we didn't have the capacity for crap like that like you can't solo like fucking what ed mundell i think was the guitarist and monster magnet at the time you can't fucking be the human workhorse that is trent reznor to like come up with all these sounds and then make them into a song like we're just fucking kids like I, I i got that about it i got that we had limited resources so that was always the goal for junkyard jack was just coming together and writing songs that we could all agree we're like all right that works we can all play this we can all get through it and we can all call it a song we didn't yeah. like it you know charlie charlie uh, that awareness you bring up i i could always tell it was there a little bit and i couldn't put my finger on what it was um but i always felt like a little bit of frustration from you in regards to the band that you were in just oh yeah and well, I frustration think, I think really is part of being out. charlie frustration yeah, is just yeah, for sure that's that, <laughs> that living living with myself for near 34 years now i've, I've kind of figured that out uh, uh yeah charlie, yeah I'm, I'm referencing that track on the cd where you're just chewing the band out there's like do you remember that <laughs> there's like a there's a part of the CD where you're just like, you don't fuck up, you don't fuck up, you don't fuck yeah, up. Yeah, no, you I, exactly. Because you guys played it all, you recorded it all live, I think, on like a like an answering machine or something. <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> it was either yeah. that or the four track version of an answering machine. But oh, I'm pretty okay. sure it was it was all it was all recorded on to God, Jim. I need to talk about Brett. Talk to Brett about this later, but it might have been an answering machine. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, which I think is awesome. <sighs> I mean, that's just the way you did shit back then. You didn't have a phone to because do your the idea of recording your own stuff in the first place was just like, well, that's just never gonna happen. Yeah, so there there was that, and then all of a sudden, Brett figured out a way to burn that shit to a CD. So yeah, we had a CD, and and the idea, like CD burning, was still pretty new. Yeah. Uh, like that, all of a sudden, these things that we've been buying at department stores since we were like 10 years old, all of a sudden we can like write them in our home. So that was important to DIY album manufacturing. And so, yeah, the fact that we could record it all was just novel. So we would just do that and we would shoot for, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right now I'm comparing it to the DIY experience recording with Van Buren, which a lot different, but a lot similar. Which, which is yeah. fun but yeah recording live in the same room all around a single mic uh i was probably singing through an amp not a pa mm -hmm. and uh yeah just we would sound check it make sure all the levels were right i believe and then back it up and then try and do the take and then yeah there was a take where reliably one of the guys would mess up mm -hmm. and it was enough times that i didn't do it and my voice was pretty warmed up and my blood was pumping i was you know i just feeling in my in my ways and just you know shout at the guys you know it's it always sounds worse than it is first right. of all but no it was genuine like okay we're gonna get through it this time you don't fuck up you don't fuck up and you don't fuck up and something at like that something or other and you know just shouting commands and then <laughs> you just hear the other guys just like squeaking with laughter <laughs> and then i'm i'm chuckling and i'm like i asked i asked somebody if they're all right and you just hear jake go i'm fine you know just like this yeah. kind of exasperated and so that track is called i'm fine and that's the junkyard jack sketch yep oh the album was called the uh, the quest for the seven chaos emeralds because we liked cartoony shit 
Like mm-hmm. Brett's always was always drawing like Hey Arnold and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stupid shit like that. And I think we would even take breaks to play Sonic in his bedroom after practice sometimes. So yeah, we called it the Quest for the Seven Chaos Emeralds because there's seven in Sonic Two. The cover of the album has someone about to step on a hot dog, but it's a cartoon hot dog <laughs> yep. with eyes and a mouth and consciousness. So he's aware of his imminent demise and he's upset about it. <laughs> And then on the back is a yeah. sketch uh, I drew of us practicing in the Royal Caricatures. And I still like that sketch for something I drew as a teenager. That's pretty cool. That's a good sketch, man. You captured everybody's right. essence really well. It's got good movement. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Charlie, you touched on this a little bit, uh, playing on the kit at Brett's house. But I was going to ask yeah. how, you, how you got behind the kit. What influenced you to do that? I'm not certain of the chronology of it, but I felt like drumming was the only thing that I could definitely get away with learning on my own that I felt like I had the capacity to learn. I do regret that I haven't spent more time with the guitar at this point, but there's always time, right, guys? Um, right, right. But yeah, that drumming seemed the easiest to just like pick up and run with. So since we had that kit there, Adam didn't keep it at his at his mom's house it was over at brett's so it was just kind of sitting there and as long as we didn't break anything or damage anything we could you know hammer away on it and fuck with it because there are times where adam just like stopped giving a shit about playing drums completely which you know that's that's like a thing that happens in bands like people just you know don't have the headspace for it anymore and just kind of hang it up yeah uh so yeah it just was derelict there for a while but you would still come over to brett's and jam every now and then the other guys would and it's just like i don't want to just like riff vocal parts and words like that's not what i want to be doing i want to be adding to this thing i want to add force to it so yeah just picking up the drums and trying to play along with you know the people i've been playing around for shit three or four years at this point yeah and then after that um yeah i think i worked a whole summer job just to save up and get a kit for myself that was that must have been like 2005 2006 it was definitely like right after high school Yep. So yeah, it was right about when I was like 17, 18 years old. Charlie, not that you, that's interesting. Go uh, ahead. Do you remember? Um, do you remember the jam spot we had in your mom's basement? Yeah, that's that became a jam spot because my family was sort of changing. The dynamic was changing. My dad, well, the, you know, not to get into that story, but yeah, my dad wasn't living with us anymore. It, it's still everything's cool now, but uh, yeah, the family was breaking up. So dad moved out. Mom was really busy just trying to ha- get a handle on a-, a lots of shit. I was done with high school, so I had a lot of idle time between classes. I didn't really need a job because I got grants to go to school and, you know, uh, didn't really have a car or anything. So I-, I had nothing to do. So I saved up for the drum kit because, like, that's something that I was still thinking about a lot. Like, I guess my house became the house where there was just, like, less adults and more time to hang out with just, like, a big group of kids and play some music. And, yeah, since I had that drum kit down there, like, that's kind of the foundation of a jam spot is just having a kit yep. and some amps. Because otherwise, like, you can't just lug that shit around. You can bring a guitar over on the fly, like, if you got a guitar case or a bag, but, like, a drum set, that's... Even now moving, it's a pain. Like, I'm used to it. I know how many trips of the car it's going to take, but it's just like, yep, yeah, that's not my favorite part of the the musician experience so yeah having like the drum kit pretty much lays the groundwork for having your house being the jam spot so even into like the limp years before i moved there like i would even have like limp kids like um i think muther came over one time those brothers who had that band paragraph what were their names one of them 
I think his name was Alex. Yeah, those kids were so odd and such incredible musicians. Yeah. I know, right, Caleb? Yeah, you shit. you remember them? I almost was in yeah, a they band even had a band with Muther for a minute. Uh, Legless Armless was that band. Oh, yeah. yeah, what were they called? Yeah, shit. yeah. I remember Paragraph, I Legless Armless. Yeah, yeah. Because you didn't once you found out you, they were brothers, you were kind of like, really? Yeah, they don't yeah. look like brothers. They don't look like brothers. They also yeah. lived in my neighborhood, which uh, was really weird because I just expect everyone to come from the county. <laughs> 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 That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Where they must have gone to like some performing arts school or some stuff like that because they could just play, man. Like they were great. I, I honestly do them a disservice by not being able to remember their names. But yeah, one of them came over, and he jammed on my Korg, and then we switched from the Korg to the, the drum set. And that was by the time I was getting into noise too. But that's jumping ahead. But yeah, the drum set just trying to learn how to do fills like. I wanted to play super aggressive stuff because by that time I was getting into like I had a handle on what grindcore was and what death metal was and getting way more into aggressive stuff with really really technically involved we'll say drumming and like I have been playing by myself for a matter of months probably at that point so that's just not happening. I'm like satisfied when I can play a drum beat that's like kind of like an off time beat from an unwound album I'm just like okay I'm learning some shit learning how to hold your body, learn where you want all the drums on the kit, just getting used to the utility of playing the instrument rather than the, uh, yeah, I mean, like when you're self-taught, you don't have somebody telling your posture or balance or where to put things or the theory behind it. You just kind of got to piece your, th your own theory together over the years. And luckily for yeah. me, it resulted in something I think is kind of interesting because I'm at least ambidextrous on the drums. I don't think I would have done that with conventional, conventional schooling. Yeah, no, I think your drumming style is really... Uh, unconventional, very fascinating. It, de it definitely developed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it totally did. Uh, Charlie, I remember the times when I would come over to your jam spot and we'd make music, you, Brett, Jake. Uh, can you describe the scene of that? Because that was like, I described it as a sound dungeon. Yeah, there sound was dungeon. Like, yeah, it dude, was, there's just was so much shit going on there. Boy hormones, the soundtrack. Like, <laughs> we, we weren't getting laid. We weren't, we had nothing to do. We weren't drinking a lot yet. The most of us weren't. And yeah. yeah, like that was just the outlet. It was like, like I had fucking power tools and shit down there. Cause mm -hmm. I was getting into old Einsters and Neubauten by then. Yep. Like the internet had at least gotten to the point where I could search out some real crazy stuff just by looking at record label websites and uh, unfortunately now amazon.com <laughs> but uh, list could, back then and you could sample music all that stuff yeah people could curate lists of music that that filled in sometimes a whole genre for you it was too much to take in at a time which is you know why I missed out on some cool shit but also like I'm you know everything hits you when it does and you're into it when you're into it and that's for good sure. because because you, you should approach something when you have time for it if if you're lucky enough to have that option. The sound dungeon, I had learned that I can pick up really cheap old crap from pawn shops. So I'm picking up practice amps, old tube. I don't even know what that one. That was an old solid state amp, but old, old, old. When I say old, like probably like an early model cheap solid state amp. I got it for like forty bucks. But uh, it had a reverb coil in it. That was cool. Mm. So you could like do the whole dub thing where you crash it and it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we would just we knew some noise stuff by then. I think we'd seen enough uh, punk shows 
I don't know what came first. Did I hear Wolf Eyes first? I probably heard Wolf Eyes first. I think I you heard Wolf Eyes the... uh, senior year of high school. Yeah, because, yeah, high school I was listening to stuff like Wolf Eyes and Pig Destroyer and, like, just really, really trying to find the hard edge. Like, Agoraphobic Nosebleed finally mm -hmm. came into my hands, the fabled Frozen Corpse stuff with Dope. Fantastic yeah. album to this day. Like, just love yeah. that title. Uh -huh. Never get tired of saying it. Um, they're kind of they're a little too novel for me now, but back back sure. then it was it was punk enough and fun enough and young and fast enough that it, it was working. Uh, we were also that was Andrew W K was breaking through, and Hell even yeah. though we weren't necessarily all into the music, we were all digging on the vibe of just getting yep. wet and getting crazy and <laughs> sweating and bleeding and maybe puking. Not necessarily. That was that was like. We knew some kids who were into that, but that we weren't like Gigi Allen or anything. <laughs> but yeah, like so we we knew that we're into music. We're ready to get dirty and hurt ourselves to make it. We're ready to do it by any means necessary, and then we'll just jam in this hormonal rage of just tribal drum circle industrial like throbbing gristle meets shit butthole surfers. Honestly, early butthole surfers. Yeah. For real, like like locust abortion technician. Yeah, because it was that kind of cynical take on the music we were listening to as well, which is like another right. surprising thing we landed on for not really understanding punk aesthetic. We're just we're just kind of jumping on it this whole time by just picking up instruments and, and making music that we understand, not that we wanna 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 make, but this music we have the capacity for. Like, you know, you guys are still listening to Ramones and crap back then, mm -hmm. too. And I was like, yeah, Ramones, whatever, <laughs> you know, but I, <laughs> I love them now. Gosh, what, yeah. a, what, a, what a great story. What a great band. Love them. Can't get enough of them. So, yeah, that, that idea that you can just pick up some gear and go to work, like just be a bunch of neighborhood kids and just that was a thing we were doing. That was a thing every single one of the bands in our little county scene back then were doing. Mm -hmm. We just had that ideal in us. By then you had gotten into, you know, Fugazi from Minor Threat and crap like that. And you're really starting to evolve as far as your whole ideology of music, as far as even the writing of it, let alone the philosophy behind it. And that's starting to trickle in too, because that's another thing that we're all doing through this scene is we're all sharing with each other. We're all cross-pollinating. Like, I'm showing you guys Einster's into Neubauten. I'm showing you guys the weird old butthole surfers albums that I've been digging up. Like I'm the one throwing the dice on this crap right. because you know, that that's where I'm interested in and that's where I'm going to spend my money. You guys are spending the little bit of money you have on this, those other things. And we're all bringing them together and sharing it. And, oh, I like this. Can you burn this for me? Like that kind of stuff. So it yeah. was like a tape. It was basically tape trading, but it was mm -hmm. in real time and all around each other. And in a lot of cases, by the time we were driving to the record stores together or walking there, even before then, we're buying music around each other and like talking about it. And like, I don't listen to a lot of pavement. I don't listen to much Stephen Malcolmus stuff, but I know a lot about, I know of pavement. I know of the Minutemen, like all kinds of stuff, just because I'm friends with you, Jim, like, because I know you were listening to this stuff and the other guys were into it and you guys could talk shop about it. So I just, you know, sponge up a bunch of that crap yeah. and, and, and likewise the rest of us. Totally. I think that's what was and so then, beautiful about that and, time. And then, yeah, like so finally sharing the influences definitely and then what was exciting for me about that time was finally being able to engage with you on the level of a musician you know agree, admittedly not to the ability that i would have liked but finally like i felt like i was kind of catching up to you guys not to put it that way but 
I wanted to be at a performing level and a technical level that I saw everybody around me at. And I always felt like I was behind and I didn't really have a place that I felt was working as far as musical expression. So the jamming in the basement, when you guys were willing to get like dark and dirty and mean, like that was really important to me. Those are really good times. Yeah, man. I, uh, I said in the little intro about uh, introducing you on the podcast, I said that those basement jams are still, they still influence me as a musician today. Yeah. Because it, it showed me the, un, like, how unbounded, like, there's no boundary in music expression. The, yeah. The fact, the fact that you got metal grinders. And yeah, you yeah. Grind, you were grinding metal and you had chains and you were just hitting shit with chains. And, like, it's like, oh, this is all part of the same. Yeah, like, language. I would be making, I would be making literal sparks fly with the edge grinder because I was also around power tools a lot because my dad, um, there's a lot of wood and metal fabrication. He has a whole shop full of tools, like real, real serious stuff, guys. But so, yeah, I'm kind of used to being around this stuff. And so I know like, yeah, you can kick up a bunch of sparks and it's loud and it's bright and it's cool, but it's not going to hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're doing that. I mean, as long as you don't have like oily rags around or any shit like that, and we don't. Sure. Uh, uh, so yeah like yeah that so I easily integrated just like I could go to Harbor Freight and pick up an angle grinder for $25 and pull some sheet metal out of my dad's shop and then we that's an instrument now we even yeah. had and my dad to his chagrin he actually made sure I gave this back as soon as possible I had a two-man saw yeah that once we learned we could bow a saw we started tapping on that and doing like the whole oh, like warbling yeah. yeah you know what i mean but like yes. that's an antique and my dad's like no no you can't fuck with that get that out of the basement i need you to, i need you to i need to go pick that up like right now but it was I'm fun while we had that. it <laughs> i was that. fine we didn't go that hard on it yeah did you yeah. guys i mean i didn't want to break it I, probably but who the hell knows where it could be yeah. i didn't I have any recording somebody equipment. recorded like four track stuff of it if anybody would have been me or Brett. You or Brett. Yeah. yeah. I do remember a four a track being tapes. down there at some time. I have a maybe. whole drawer full of tapes of that era of my life. Of just like in jamming there. in your basement, maybe jamming in Andy Rogers' basement. We yep. just made music as much as we possibly could mm -hmm. in those mm -hmm. days. It was And we had a lot of good basements. Like there was also Jordan's basement. That was that yeah. was the music basement because that was an actual studio. Mm-hmm. Totally. So that was a lot of fun. You were in cicadas, right? I guess. Yeah, I mean that. One I think everybody was in cicadas at yeah. some point. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just I couldn't remember. I was talking to Jordan. We we were interviewing him. Yeah, cicadas was. Um, we found out about we found out about the the uh, grindcore through this band called the Locust, which still has some good stuff, but largely I I kind of find them unlistenable now. Um, but yeah. That's not really grindcore. That's just the locust, and I'm I'm happy for it. Locust was basically, it's like coming across Death Grips and being like, oh yeah, it's like digital hardcore. It's like no, it's it's kind of this other thing that these guys are doing, and no one's really sure if it's ironic or it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's like you know we don't understand. This is our first exposure to extreme music, and it's the cutting edge of the time. So people are like, oh, you should listen to the Locust. You should listen to Blood Brothers. You should listen to Daughters. Mm -hmm. And this stuff's falling into our hands, and it's like. All pretty sassy stuff. Super sassy. This sassy stuff, and uh, I love it. Like I, I haven't listened to that one Blood Brothers Burn Piano Island Burn. I would, I bet that's still good though. I bet there's some stuff it holds in it up. that would still, that would still get me going. Yeah. So yeah, we're listening to stuff like that and calling it grindcore. 
And so we decided, since they called their band the Locust, we're gonna call, we're gonna do a noisy mess project where all you gotta do is be loud and crazy. You don't have to play good or necessarily write anything. And uh, since we're in the Midwest in St. Louis in, in, in the summer when we generally have these shows, all you can hear is cicadas everywhere. So we called the band Cicadas because they're loud and annoying, just like us. <laughs> and we were. I think Helwig drummed for that, didn't he? Because he was the yeah, only one that could play. Yeah, could have been. He's the only one that, that could even think about playing that fast, I think. I don't think he yep. quite had the blast beat down back then. Not that he didn't have the capacity for it. He's always been an excellent drummer. But yeah, he's uh, so good. He definitely was the drummer that they wanted for that. Like, I couldn't. No, not at that time. So I was probably some kind of vocal or or uh, with my chord keyboard since, yeah, like we brought up Wolf Eyes. That's another thing where it's like you, you land on something and you think it is what it is, but it's just the current take on what it is. We landed on the Locust and that was just a brief and current now novel take on grindcore landing on wolf mm. eyes you can call that noise but noise is a whole other thing but by the time in the timeline we're at noise as far as i can tell is wolf eyes and throbbing gristle and anything i can find from the providence label what was that it had like kites and sightings and stuff on it because this is all trickling in because by this time you guys are going to limp but i'm not and yeah. you guys are seeing stuff that i'm not but i'm hearing about it but i'm depressed i don't want to leave the house so you guys are still mm. coming over to hang out and play music with me yeah. i don't think i had a car yet either so that was a big part of it too hey charlie everyone on the show has brought up the conformists i wanted to ask <laughs> yeah. you when was the first time you saw the conformists and what impact this did is it have the on you? perfect part of the story to ask that really it is because that's mm -hmm. the next step the, i didn't go yep. to my first local show i didn't go to a limp show i went to a radio cherokee show and that building's still there but radio yep. cherokee is long gone uh and the radio cherokee show it's like this little shotgun bar with a little bitty stage in the back behind the bar in the same room you know god like like little bitty like maybe a 10 or 12 seater bar very very small mm-hmm and little bitty stage that you could barely fit a band on. And the first show I ever got to see there was Ghost Ice, Warhammer 48K, and The Conformists. And that mm -hmm. changed it. Because those were the bands, yeah. Ghost Ice and Warhammer, the ones that were, were, were the ones that people were talking about the most. What does ASMR stand for? Do we know that? Oh, shoot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it stands for whatever that stands what for is, you, know? you know the feeling right the feeling where your skin's crawling and you're getting goosebumps you're getting a physical sensation from the things you're hearing i've never gotten that from quiet shit like asmr when mm -hmm. i saw ghost eyes for the first time and to this day when i hear noise sets that i like that's the feeling like i i understand asmr because when i hear loud sounds that can't come from anything but like digital crushing analog bending slicing feedback it gives me a physical reaction and that's what happened i'd never heard i don't think anything as loud as i don't think jeremy played that loud ever again actually i think he even played too loud for himself so yeah when ghost eyes came on he did the, he does the thing where he just gets up there and does it he doesn't tell anybody because he's he's kind of a goof he, he he likes to act like he uh Maybe, doesn't, maybe it's not an act. Maybe he just doesn't want to have attention drawn to himself, but he just wants to perform this thing. But yeah. that's generally the way it goes. He gets up there, he sets his shit up, he kind of like schmoozes with people, and then all of a sudden he's on the set and it's happening. He's on the stage and it's happening. And, it's, and in this case, this is back when he had just stumbled on this setup with this big old Roland. Um, he had like this fat stack, this set of amps, these drum amps from Roland that were just beautiful and mm. mean looking. They looked like... They looked like dystopian sci-fi security robots. They just looked so imposing. 
and he had this cool little box full of like LED swashes and weird old uh, loop and delay pedals and this mic setup and uh, this weird module, which I later found is a electro harmonics vocoder vocoder but you know at this time he's just this guy on a stage making the loudest strangest noise i've ever heard and i'm there for it i'm just like like i i think my ears were act i felt like my ears were actually bleeding like i never heard anything that loud before um yeah. and i've been like like i've seen i'd seen helicopters dropping like i-beams on a rooftop that i was standing on before like i've never heard anything that loud before and it was incredible it was so moving it was like you just it's so hard to describe the sounds of a ghost i set and it's so important to hear him and it's so he's such an elusive performer but like it's like yeah. it literally like that name informs it it sounds like something that is no warmth and no body to it it's just incredibly mm. splitting and elusive but just just undeniable just in your face like it just it just erupts into these howls and these just elemental crescendos it was just beautiful definitely 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 took a lot from him as a as a noise composer i would I, I guess and that's definitely when i started yeah. spending my money on some digital synths anyway so yeah that was the opener that just happened to me so it was like getting hit by a truck i was like okay i'm in the right place i'm, I'm there at the right time like things are this is real. This is a real thing. Like it really awesome. felt like dreamlike. It was amazing. And then the next band gets on and they're wearing Hawaiian shirts and they all look like surfer dudes. Honestly, Warhammer was a handsome band. I don't I don't <laughs> know if you guys remember. Those those were some handsome boys. Those were some handsome white boys. And uh hell, I didn't know that who they were. I didn't know it was Warhammer until the set was over. But yeah, it's just like this kind of caveman stoner metal back before that was the cool thing to do. They were just on it, but it was still super proggy in a lot of ways. So they would just land on these hooks yeah. and you would just headbang. And and uh, yeah, I think they were grooving on some Caius and um, probably maybe some uh, some shit in that lane. But I'm not really sure where they were coming from. They seemed... They were just kind of doing their own thing. And then after a while, they started putting some power tools on stage. I remember they, they lit a trash can on fire. We were trying to cut into it with a circular saw one time at Limp. That was fun. Yeah, but this is long before that, long before then. At the end of the set, somebody poured lighter fluid on a cymbal and lit it up right before a big, you know, downbeat crash. And, you know, big old plume of fire in the air. And that was super exciting. And then at the end of the set, I was like, yeah, oh, cool, was. man. When's Warhammer coming on? And they're like, that was Warhammer. I was like, all right, I'm cool with that. That's not what I was expecting, but okay. That's a lot different than the Warhammer that I had in my head, and I still accept that as Warhammer. That was fucking rad. So the guys that I thought yeah. were Warhammer get on stage, and it's the Conformists. I mean, what yeah. can you say? What can you say? Like, I've, I just, my first show was the best show. Like, some of my early shows before I was even involved from the scene, like, I mean, shit that, that might make you cry nowadays yeah same. uh but fuck yeah right caleb yeah you were there for a lot of shit too we we never really crossed paths but yeah you were there for some incredible beautiful moments in the limp years too like this set was just fucking spiritual like it was like the conformists were doing shit that was in the lane of all the experimental stuff that i've been hearing through the internet through my dad his collection you know going back to zappa or like going to maybe like throbbing gristle and stuff where it's just like you guys are just kind of fucking around though you know like you never really get the vibe like even in throbbing gristle like the scariest song is like hamburger lady like get the fuck out of here that's you grow up <laughs> um the conformist was fucking scary the conformist was like 
I mean, I don't want to tune them up too much because that's not what the podcast is about. But they've they were they've been my favorite band since then and still to this day. They're like one of my favorite bands, like above all bands. I've been thinking about their songs all week, and I don't even know why. Like all so like cool like for weeks now. Like for weeks now. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's crazy. They've been around for twenty three years. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, and and just and that w- they're approachable. That they're in our community. Like we can yeah. we're friends with the guys. Like yeah. it's just it's, it's oh my god. I mean, it's a, anyway, they're kind of the reason. One of the main reasons we were doing this at all. Bingo. Yeah. They're the they're the once you see them, everybody's chasing that. Not necessarily what they're doing, <laughs> but how principled it is how deliberate they are yeah. how fucking practiced they are i don't know what you have to do to like get to the level of chris as a guitarist yeah, but like he's always just blown my mind like i i can conceive of playing the guitar until i watch him play the things he wrote like um i don't know if they changed the name of the song <laughs> But on the album that I have, it's called Black People. The hook, like the guitar, when the guitar actually starts in that song, like how do how do you how? Yeah, that one. No, before that, when it's like dong 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 dong, he's like just going back and forth between this weird rhythm between the chords and the harmonics, and it's like, okay, I can't even conceive of playing that twice in a row. You know what I mean? Like, and this dude wrote that part. So that crap's happening yeah. on stage in front of me. There's yeah. there's musicians that are focused enough that they can speed up and slow down in a deliberate, logical fashion while other musicians are playing in different time. Like, this is the kind of crap that I've only heard of. Like, people aren't even daring this daring on albums. So all of a sudden, like, music is just torn inside out for me. It's like, oh my god, the album is just the tip of this whole thing. Like... Yeah. There's stuff that's not ending up on albums or it's on albums that I don't even have access to that like you can't necessarily hear anywhere else. And so that was the other thing about The Conformist. Not only was it brilliant, like, sorry, like if, if you don't get it the first time, which I don't think I did, you still keep thinking about it. You still remember who they were. And then by the yeah. second or the third time, you understand that this is brilliant, 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 brilliant music. Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. word for it. So, yeah. yeah. And it's cool that they're on that level, that, like, they're still going out to Europe, and Europe gets fucking excited about it. Like, that's that's what's up. Yeah. And I'm so happy that they've totally. achieved that in their career, because they deserve that kind of recognition. No, I, don't, I haven't heard anyone else writing music that way. And so once you see that, once you realize that is in your town, you realize you got to get fucking serious. And you got to fucking start coming out to shows, because <laughs> otherwise you're not even going <laughs> to hear it. You're not even going to hear it. Yeah. So, yeah, then I'm not scared to go to places like Lemp anymore. And, yeah, like, lucky enough to go there in time to see, like, I saw a really late, I don't think it was Grand Yulina, but it might as well have been because it was Darren Gray sitting in with Dave Stone and Danny McLean. That's a 3D3. And see, wow. Yeah, that was what that was. Yeah, I got to see one of what, those sets. What was it called? Um, 3D3. 3D3, just like super yeah. group, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Darren Gray from okay. Granulina, and Darren, Darren was in the Killman too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so him and Dave Stone, who is the St. Louis Sax Squatch, he actually has moved out of St. Louis recently in the past year. But yeah, he's, he's just this. Now, right? right, right. I think I think that's right. But yeah, he's like just this dude who can show up to Sax Night, any Sax Night in town, if it's like. Jazz at the Bistro, he can do jazz sax. If it's avant-garde 
um, free improv with lots of circular breathing, he can just show up and do that. Like Dave Stone is like a saxophone in his mouth 23 hours in a day. Like he's, he's just the man. And then you got Danny on the drums who like, I've been listening to this point. I've been listening to drummers like Brian Harvey from pig destroyer back when he was in that. And like the kind of crap that's on some of the, the, uh, napalm death albums that were coming out in 2005, where it's a lot of bomb blasts. And it's just like, you know, every, every drum stroke, uh, every 32nd note, like as fast as humanly possible. And then I see Danny McLean play and it's the fastest thing I've ever seen for 20 minutes straight. It was unbelievable. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm accessing a world of music and performance that's in my hometown that's about $5 a night to go see. And it's just, yeah, okay. Like, like I said, time to get serious. Like people I know and can talk to can do this. Like this changes so much. Yeah, it makes it accessible. And Danny, Char- like Charlie, I, you- I mentioned that performance especially because Danny has passed away. He passed away from pneumonia yeah. several years ago. I think I, that's been a long time too. But like, it's it's just like when you have a small scene like that, when someone leaves it, even if you're not really friends with them, like you just understand the preciousness of all of it. Like, I've I like seriously one of the most skilled percussionists percussionists I've ever seen in my life. And he's just some kid from our neighborhood or our city. Like, and unfortunately he's passed now and he's just, he's just a story now. And it's just like, wow, how could that happen? Yeah. But yeah, like uh, unbelievable. Every time I had a chance to see him play, it was just a treat. And I was in like, he was definitely a local drummer that I, I had my sights on just like, I got to pay attention to what he's doing because he can move his hands so fucking fast and he's not expending any energy. Like he can just do that. He can just, he, you can hear how bored he is doing it. You can hear he, his breathing is relaxed. Like he can just do it. Yep. So yeah, it, it really it really changed the way I looked at my own limitations once I started seeing people performing on this level and starting with the conformist for sure. What was your first show at the Limp, and how'd you hear about it? It was really weird. It was not really representative of the Limp that I knew, but it was representative of the idea of the limp that could have been and might have been at some point. It was like this kind of queer musician group that was all touring together and they had this kind of Casio tone project involved and this kind of like anarcho-punk act too. And I just remembered like because the nature of the Lemp Arts Center is the people are staying in the same room they're performing in and also eating there. like. And it's just a room full of sofas. I don't know if it's been covered yet, but anyway. Um, yeah, it's just this this place that used to be a corner store in the city that's now a punk venue. So I'm in this room with these performers, and there's no stage, so there's no division between us and the performers. So yeah, it was just like this weird thing. All of a sudden, you can just walk into like kind of an our an our anarcho collective. Yeah. So that was the the show that I first went to at Lemp, and it was like kind of. I, I don't know what to call it, but it had real, it really forced the ideas of feminine sexuality and female orgasm. Mm. And it really put that in your face. And yeah, the idea of, of uh, more queer leaning ideas. And this is, you know, 2005, 2006, probably. And like, I, it's like passing me like a ship in the night, pretty much. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, once I realized what they were singing about, 
I kind of like stopped was stopped in my tracks and I was like, wait, what? Like I like yeah. I literally said that out loud and made an ass of myself. And so yeah, my first few shows were like that, just showing up there and making an ass of myself. And I remember Mark told me he didn't like me very much because I was just Mark. Wow. And I was like, oh okay. I was like, well, that's cool. I, I like this venue. I'm still coming here. Like this is cool shit. And if I can still come here, whether or not you like me, I will. Because by that time, yeah. like I had stopped kind of taking so much shit. Like we beat up um, Drew's live-in bully by that time so i know i wasn't afraid of a brooke. confrontation yeah 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 brooke was a guy who was living he was renting a room from uh, our friend's mom and i guess things weren't going great for him because you know he's a 30 year old guy living in a closet and so he would take it out on drew kind of and he would play fight but it's like you shouldn't play fight a 14 year old when you're in your 30s so yeah. one day we all hid in drew's room while this while we knew this was going to go down and once uh brooke had drew on the ground we all came out it was most of junkyard jack actually this was a this was a band thing yeah. <laughs> we did this instead of practice one day yeah That's and awesome. um i jumped on brooke's back and like landed my knee right between his shoulder blades and all of a sudden Sick. these kids that he like runs around he like jogs past us and spits on us while we're walking home all of a sudden he's stuck in a room with us and he realizes that like, yeah, I'm 14, but I'm over six feet tall. And like, I don't even understand the implications of that at the time, but like you're, he's in a room full of kids that are all pretty much bigger than him. Like Jake, is, he's a big, tough, Irish brawler looking kid. Like he looks like, if, if he was born in Ireland, he'd be like a traveling fighting dude. Like <laughs> if, like Brett looks like he has a switchblade and Adam ran away, but I don't blame him. Uh, and Drew's a big yeah. kid too. Like he can throw some weight around. Um, and he's yeah, he's he's a scrapper. He's not afraid to get hurt in a tussle. So yeah, all of a sudden Brooks in the room with us four kids, and I just lay into him like, "What the fuck is wrong with you, man? You're a grown ass man, and you're like bullying us and treating us like we're teenagers, dude. What the fuck is wrong with you?" And he was, yeah, he pretty much crumbled under that. So yeah, by then, understanding you know like it's not a big deal if adults don't like you. So uh -huh. I didn't really give a shit if Mark didn't like me. I found out later why, and he had good reason. I accidentally knocked him down when I was kind of trying to mosh. Mm. And uh, that's, not, that's that's fucked up, you know, like, because Mark, he's, he was probably in his 40s or 50s then, you know, it's, you, you, you're not as ready for that right. at that age. But, you know, he's also sure. running a punk venue, so <clears throat> you kind of got to give the kids some credit. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not even really sure why I started wanting to get involved there, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, I was going to so, ask, you know, I'm how you started him volunteering there. You know what? I do know. It was, um, I think it flipped eventually. Uh -huh. Mark realized that we got off on the wrong foot because I was showing off, showing up there enough times and behaving myself and showing a lot of enthusiasm. Like, this is a home base. This place isn't going to go under. I'm seeing stuff like Aluchatistas and Neptune, which Aluchatistas is like, jazz guitarist jazz bassist and like a death metal drummer like yeah. writing songs instrumental music together and neptune are literally making their own guitars from metal and they're rolling drum sets and making keyboards that they that they uh, solder together and you play them by flipping light switches like crazy shit so it's like okay yeah yeah, yeah. definitely definitely coming back for more definitely just going to show up as soon as i hear it's you know worth seeing and i got the night off because you know by then i'm working i got i got a you know job at a grocery store i got a car
Thank you for tuning in to our interview with Charlie Turner. I want to thank Charlie and Van Buren for letting us use their music on the show. You can listen to their music at vanburenband.bandcamp.com. They also have music available on Spotify. You have been listening to Grind the Arch, oral histories of the St. Louis music scene, hosted by Caleb True and Jim Fitzpatrick. This episode has been mixed by Caleb True. Our logo is designed by Julia Hahn. To check out more episodes, visit anchor.fm backslash grind the arch. If you have any questions or comments, we can be reached at grindthearch at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.